I'm going to kill you, Brandy, but that's... Oh, come yeah, on. Yeah, I know, but... Can I not get married, at least? Welcome to the Rock, Paper, Shotgun, Electronic Wireless Show. This is episode 41. It is the 19th of April. I'm joined today by Adam Smith. Hello. And Matt Cox. Hello. And I'm Brendan Caldwell. That's my name. Uh, how are you guys? Not bad. Good. Oh, we both hesitated politely and then spoke <laughs> at exactly the same time. I'm it's- good. This is a this is a sad cast, the sad cast, um, because one of you is leaving, and you have to fight to d- to determine who. Whoever is it? Whoever does best in the podcast gets to leave, or whoever does worst gets thrown out. What's the policy here? I think it's whoever does best gets to leave. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Well, that's that's my excuse for saying nothing interesting or fucker. Awesome. <laughs> um, Adam is leaving us at the end of this podcast. Um, <laughs> Immediately, as soon as the podcast is finished, as soon as we stop recording, I'm going to jump out of this window right in front of me. I'm going to land in a little getaway car and zoom away. He's going. He's going. Uh, last week is next week. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... Um, we're going to do a bit of a special podcast, uh, somewhat related to the fact that you're leaving, mm-hmm. uh, which was also a suggestion by one of our listeners. Um, Alexi Saunders emailed in to ask us uh, whether we would do a couple of themes, and we've gone with this one, which is kind of a naval gazy theme, but humorous. Adam's going. <laughs> it's gaze at Adam's navel. <laughs> It's all gears at Adam's navel. That's what that's what this can be our po- podcast title this week. Uh, the theme is being a games writer, as in a games journalist, versus being not a games journalist. Alexi asks, "How has your view of games changed from when you started your games journalism career?" Versus now, if there has been a change, do you lament the inability to play what you want versus what you need to write about? And how have your gaming sessions changed over time? Have they become shorter or longer? I'd be fascinated to hear your approach to games uh, that you're writing about. Do you go through periods of despising games but still need to put the work into them? I was going to say, the biggest way it's changed for me is that I used to like games. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. That's not You true. can't just wee on games the whole podcast. 
Um, That's all I've done for the last seven years is we on games. <laughs> <laughs> the RPS Treehouse is disgusting. <laughs> it's absolutely filthy. It's just um, you're getting none of the deposit back, Adam, when you go. <laughs> uh, so let's think about this. Um, no, I, I'm going to give a serious answer very quickly that's the complete opposite. I actually like games a lot more now. I appreciate games a lot more. And I think that um, there are there are loads of problems which the email hints at and is very, very wise to, uh, you know, um, to recognize. And, and the worst of them is um, when you have something that you need to play and you probably need to play quite a lot of it quite quickly for a review embargo or something and you're just not feeling it. And uh, it's not that... I, I think you can still give a very well-rounded review. You can make yourself... Um, uh, you know, look at it from the angles. You can critically explore it, but um, but uh, it's 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 difficult uh, trying to cram it all in. And you know, we we have a very very uh, privileged job, so that when that's the worst part of it, that's saying a lot. But um, but what you feel is that you're not giving the game what it deserves sometimes, and and that's that's a, that that can be a problem. That's very difficult. And you'll see in comments, people will say, oh, you know, critics didn't like this game because they had to play it for thirty hours straight. You know, and it's a game to dip into and dip out of. And I don't agree that the critical appraisal isn't useful in that instance, but it is a very different way of playing a game than you would otherwise. If I was going to play an Assassin's Creed game as a real human being rather than as a critic, <laughs> then it might last me six months. But if I'm going to play it in four days, of course that's going to change the way I feel about it. And I think those are the games that suffer the most, the ones that have um, a very, very repetitive series of core loops in their gameplay. And, uh, and you keep doing those over and over again. And absolutely, something like Far Cry 5 maybe even, if you spread that out over many, many months, which is what I used to do with those kind of games, you don't notice how tedious it can get sometimes. And so so that's that's one element of it, certainly. I think also there's like, um, when you talk about, uh, when Alexi talks about periods of despising games, um, there's different types of dislike of a game, if you know what I mean, that you can dislike a game because it's been poorly put together in a lot of ways or kind of is broken or design-wise the pieces don't fit together, like um, um, like fu- almost functional reasons to dislike a game or non-functional reasons to dislike a game. And then there's sometimes you dislike a game and you can see why people love it or will like it themselves. But you just can't. You just can't like it yourself. You just cannot see the the good parts. It's like you can't see the benefit of playing this. You know, because the easiest way to approach that is to just say, "Well, this isn't for me." Yeah, and you can you can do it. This isn't for me, but still, I mean, a good a good review of anything, whether it's a game or a film or an album, can say this isn't for me, but still give people a good impression of whether it's for them. You know, it doesn't matter. Like that's yeah. why that's one of the reasons why scores are such an obstacle sometimes to the actual content of the review because it's not really important. Um, whether you, you know, it's, it's a strange thing to say, but in some ways, it, it isn't that important whether the reviewer liked it. In some cases, what's important is whether they can articulate uh, what is good and what is bad about it, and how it does certain things, and what it's trying to do. Um, and one of the things that, and this was pre uh, the game, the times when I was a games critic. This is something that I already had. It was, I, I am absolutely somebody who, and I, I, we spoke about this, I think, a little bit at ResMat, 
Um, I have always been somebody who, and not just with games, again, with everything, I like things that are interesting rather than things that are good is the way that I said it to Matt. And, um, and what I mean by that is that I'm not particularly interested, never have been, in a really well-crafted thing that's a version of something I've seen before. I'd rather have something that's really ramshackle and maybe it's got loads of problems with it, but I've just never seen some of the things it's doing before. And games, one of the reasons I love being a games critic is that games do that better than almost anything else. Um, they can be so wildly experimental. They can do new spins on existing ideas and just try and break things in interesting ways. And that, that I love that so much. And I absolutely know that that's not what everyone wants from a game. Some people just want something they can pick up and say, this is familiar, but more beautiful or more well-crafted. And that's what I want. And that's fantastic as well. What about you, Matt? How has your view of games changed from when you started? <laughs> well, it's an interesting one because I've only been doing this full-time for six months. <laughs> and I mean, well, yes, I've only been doing jobs <laughs> full-time for six months. <laughs> so the main thing for me has been just the disparity of free time that I have now compared to previous ones, which I know it isn't a games journalist specific thing. And if anything, you know, I have far more time to play games than people whose job it isn't to play games. But nevertheless, I definitely think there's something I was talking to um, Catherine at Rest about this, actually, where I don't know if I would get into Dark Souls now. Um, like, I, I, I genuinely don't. I like to think I would, but the experience of frustration and constantly butting your head against a wall and not making any progress when i have you know an evening with a certain number of hours and i spend all of those hours just doing that when i could be doing something which is has more immediate gratification it's definitely changed significantly changed that equation and mm. how i approach that i think for for a game that's if it's good enough and if it's the same attitude that Dark Souls has has, um, then it will power through your desire to not waste your own time, your own free time. Mm. Um for instance, I would feel very, very similar in that uh for example, whenever getting over it came out, I did play a little bit of getting over it, and I felt like if I hadn't a job, I would get to the top of this damn mountain. Yes. No, no problem. But I do, and I, I just can't. I just can't. Even though it's not a, as far as I understand, it, it's not a particularly long game, <laughs> apart from the setbacks. <laughs> um, but I did complete Dark Souls three, for example, even though it, it, it is a game that I, f before I did play it all the way through it, I would have thought, no, I'm not. I'm not going to play through another Dark yeah. Souls game ever, never. Um. But if it's good enough, I think it can, any game, no matter how long, can get you to put the time in. I mean, you know? yeah. Another part of it, which I've wondered about, is the extent to which I play games to get a sense of achievement and whether that changes when you're working on a day-to-day -day basis. Because, I mean, obviously I was uni at, I was at uni before this and still, still having that, still obviously feeling like I was doing productive and interesting things. But I do, I do wonder if I, I mean, this is very abstract. I can't really put this in concrete terms. It's more a thing if I've wondered if this has affected my, the way I'm playing things rather than stuff I've consciously thought. But if there is, yeah, if there's a, uh, I was playing games before to 
feel like I had achieved something and feel like I was doing something productive in a way that is less significant now, possibly. For me, the biggest, I think the biggest actual change in the way that I played games and the kind of games that um, I played was that I felt I had to broaden my horizons. Uh, I've mm-hmm. never been, I, I, used to, I used to just play the games I liked and I, I, I didn't play many competitive games. So uh, that was, you know, so I pick up and drop games quite quickly. There were certain ones that had last for a long time with me, but um, but games were kind of this background noise in my life a lot of time. I didn't really uh, pick up smaller games. I didn't really uh, play many AAA games at all. It was anyone who's read my writing over the last seven years will be able to guess exactly the kind of games I played, which was uh, sports games, sim games, strategy games, uh, some RPGs. Um, and I wasn't really aware of how broad the um, whole world of games was. Like, I, I don't think if, if I wasn't a critic, I'd never have played something like Gone Home. Um, it just wouldn't have been something that was on my radar. Uh, it wasn't the, you know, I would have read about it and I would have loved reading about it, but I would never have thought to pick it up. Uh, so it's really broadened my horizons in that way. Um, and that's kind of my achievement unlocked is discovering a new genre. Um, and saying, hey, I like this, or um, or just trawling around weird websites to find odd little things, you know. Um, and I think that I talk to a lot of critics, and they say that, you know, they've got stuck into a certain field once they've become a critic, and I think that's one of the reasons that RPS is so good, um, you know, for, for us as writers as well, is that I've never felt pigeonholed. Like, if you read my bio on RPS, it says that I'm, you know the strategy and horror guy, um, but but go you back are from, well. I am, yeah. But uh, but I've never been, you know, told, oh, don't write about this or don't write about that. Um, no, and that's that's really nice. Uh, being able to, you know, stretch yourself uh, a bit. So yeah, broaden my horizons rather than narrowing me into one field. Is I guess what I'm saying, mm. which is a I, good thing. I definitely got the same thing. I mean, just um day before yesterday writing about Occupy White Walls which is a virtual gallery MMO and it's exactly the same thing where it's like if I wasn't writing about it I would have heard that heard it was interesting and sort of maybe maybe played it at a much later date if everybody else if I'd seen loads of people saying it was really interesting but instead I went and played it and had a really a really interesting experience that I just wouldn't have otherwise so yeah, definitely. That's definitely a very positive thing about this job. Yeah, you get you, you do get a, a weird um, knowledge, quite deep knowledge of the industry in a way as well. Because, for example, we used to do a free games column, and we still do a free games column. But I I used to be the one writing it, so I I would have I would see all these different free games being put up on itch.io and. Um, uh, by lots of different developers just doing their own thing and it would be weird experimental stuff or like North for example is a game it's now out in the Switch and it's about being a refugee in a weird city and it was on Itch.io to begin with uh, you know where I saw it and thought that's weird Um, another one I think it's called Raft is a survival game based on a floating raft and you used to be basically just starting a piece of wood and there's a shark circling you and you have to catch bits of flotsam to try and put together a bigger raft until you get a massive massive thing that you're just living on for the rest for the rest of your seafaring days um and that first appeared on itch.io as well so whenever these games show up 
as full releases, like whether they're going into early access like Raft did recently, or onto Switch like North, you get to look at them and be like, yeah, I know this, I recognize this. Um, and it feels it feels really nice to be able to have this, uh, you know, prior knowledge of things um, to to fall back on whenever you have to write about them or tell any tell anybody about them when they become uh, you know more popular or easier to see. Um, and yeah, I like that. That doesn't really affect how you play them, but how you talk about them, I guess. I remember years ago um, when I was uh, doing freelance stuff for RPS, um, I wrote the, I can't remember what, exactly what we called it, but it was all of the games, all of the game, all of the interesting games that were going to come out um, over the whole year. Yeah. It's this massive project. And I remember for this brief period, I I just, because I was doing, I, I was writing so many, about so many of them, or I was looking at so many of them. I had this period where I couldn't tell you anything about any of those games, but pretty much any game that men- that was mentioned, I was like, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but had nothing all... useful to say. <laughs> um, let's see, what else has Alexi asked? Uh, he also asked that uh, he'd be fascinated to hear how we approach games that we're writing about. He says, do you play through once with the writer turned off and then play through again or through certain parts with a more critical eye. Is that something that either of you do? I've never been able to turn the writer off. And this isn't just since I became a games critic. I, that's, that's my brain. That's how it's always worked. Um, I do this with conversations I'm having with people. There's a little voice in the back of my head that's rating it. Uh, it really irritates me. Right now, everyone. I, I, I was in the pub the other day. This is a, a, a this is probably too much of an insight into my life. And um, somebody uh, was talking about Rick and Morty, and I was like, "Yeah, Rick and Morty is pretty funny." And then he started talking about how it's really deep, and I was just like, "It isn't though." It isn't that. And I couldn't help myself. I just had to correct him. You just <laughs> rhymed on him. I did, yeah. And I, I remember afterwards thinking, well, did that get quite vicious? <laughs> um, and uh, and that, that's kind of how my brain has always worked. And, and sometimes to my extreme detriment, you know, it's, um, you know, when it's that moment when does anyone have a reason why these two should not wed? And it's like, well, I've got a bunch, actually. Uh, they're all just opinions, but I think they should be heard. Um, so it's a dangerous way to be, but I've always been like that. So so the idea of playing something with that thing switched off is is very alien to me. Uh, you know, that thing when people say, oh, you'll, what, you'll enjoy this film a lot if you switch your, to leave your brain at the door. And I'm just like, I don't know where to put it. Like, uh, I, <laughs> I literally do not know how to lobotomize myself. And that's not me. That sounds really arrogant and like slightly pretentious. And it isn't. It's just the way I'm wired. I, I usually am the same. I'll go into a cinema, for instance. And I think it's easier for me to think about this during a cinema, like uh, when you're critiquing a film. But if I go into a cinema or sit down to play a massive game, I usually don't have any intention of turning my brain off. My brain is on because the first few things you see are usually the most ridiculous and they're the most fun and interesting things to critique because you want to see what the first impression is going to be but then if it's good enough my brain will just go off eventually at some point and i don't mean if it's dumb enough 
Yeah. I mean, if it's absorbing enough. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can enjoy. I want to see Rampage at the moment just because I quite, it, it's probably terrible, but um, I quite like the idea of just seeing Dwayne Johnson high-fiving a massive gorilla. That's fun to the, me, you know? Another another thing as dumb as when people tell you don't leave your brain at the door when you play Far Cry 5. It's like, why would I do that? It's way more fun to have it switched on and talking trash about something that isn't like evidently isn't very good oh that's interesting because i skipped i've skipped every bit of dialogue in far cry i just haven't engaged with that at all well there comes a point sometimes when you just have to say brain or no brain this isn't good and you just have to <laughs> skip it <laughs> um but yeah no i mean do, do you how do you do that matt like you just do you have your brain your writer off when you play through um sometimes i think it's definitely true what you're saying that it switches off once i'm fully immersed in something i i have found myself consciously thinking i'm analyzing this when i would be having more fun if i wasn't analyzing this so i think that's definitely it's definitely an interesting difference between them and me i mean I'm, I'm wondering do you still do you still get the thing where everything sort of becomes work and that is a bit draining yeah uh, you mean like whenever you're sitting and you're not at work in the evening and you're sitting looking at your your list of games on Steam and you're thinking, what shall I play? And you're a little part of you is like going, you should probably play Nino Kuni too because you you need to know more about JRPGs if you're going to talk about them in the future. <laughs> Stuff like that? that. Stuff like that, definitely. <laughs> I, but I went for a bit. Sorry, go on. Sorry. It, it's sort of too it's two sided because I'm thinking about when you're playing something interesting that you otherwise wouldn't. That sorry that you would normally be if you weren't. Uh, a games journalist and then you're thinking of the you're thinking of potential article ideas and uh, i definitely yeah. have points where it's like I, I i know that that's a good thing to be doing that's good and interesting but also i just I, these are my off hours i just want to relax and play this game and i can't yeah i think that does happen i went as well i went for a period where um and this was a good while ago where every time i played anything there'd just be a little voice in the back of my head saying You've got to turn this into content. You've got to turn this into content. And it's just like ah, <laughs> it's horrible. Um, and I shook that off quite quickly. Now the voice in the back of my head is, "You've got to find a way to make somebody else turn this into content," <laughs> which is way better. Delegation. The the best one that came out of that was um, playing Euro Truck Simulator two way back in the day, just because I used to just and I still do, but not as often as I used to. Just load up Steam and just try some new releases it's harder now because there's so many new releases back then it used to be one or two a day and you just load them up and try them just to see if they were worth uh playing and uh were, were thinking about and euro truck simulator 2 is one of those it was a game that i just had no interest in whatsoever i just thought possibly it could be fun um but i really didn't expect anything of it and like six hours later i'd written a feature about it and it was great you know it was just um very nice but so rare that happened and I think it's got a lot harder to do that. This is not going to turn into me saying how the job's changed in the last seven years. But how has it changed in the last seven years, Adam? <laughs> it's about to ask. It's got a lot harder just because there is. I mean, I think that when I joined RPS, um, PC gaming had come out of it. PC gaming was in a bit of a trough for a while, where it was just like, oh no, you know, and, and it was always overblown. But that thing of PC gaming is dying that preceded my time at RPS. By the time I came in. Uh, Steam was a powerful thing. Uh, PC gaming was absolutely, you know, a major platform. Um, but 
there was there weren't many games released every week. You could keep on top of them all. I mean, realistically, uh, RPS could cover pretty much anything good that was coming out that was that wasn't just you know a, a very small freeware game. Uh, now we just can't. Um, you know, we'd need about five times the staff, and that'd dilute the quality of the website. You know, to 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 cover everything anyway. Um, but it's got a lot harder because of that. It's a lot harder to keep track of what's coming out, what's good and what isn't good, uh, what's worth coverage. And, and that's a distinction, what's good and what isn't good. It's not just the good things that deserve coverage. My attitude uh, since I became an editor has always been we should be a site that covers things that we love. I think that that always makes us better, makes us more interesting because just you know, uh, being harsh about things, there's enough of that on the internet. The yeah, but then, that. but sorry, but yeah, that's there. There is the problem that, like, if we just follow the things that we love, which has often been our philosophy, uh, we tend not to cover things that none of us really like that much. Yes, and, this... and that leaves these gaps where there's these huge things that people absolutely adore, like Fortnite, where yeah, we yeah. don't cover as much as we maybe otherwise would because it's interesting to a huge amount of people but we absolutely none of us are oh. really into it like none of us play that that's no. the thing i i keep think that tying back to the earlier conversation i often am thinking i really should play some fortnite <laughs> i'm often thinking that as well matt you really should play some fortnite <laughs> <laughs> you see you see no wait listen i've played fortnite okay i haven't played the battle royale but i've played fortnite and no neither of you should play it <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I, I looked at it a while ago, and I one of the things I said was, if it embraces its city side, it could be interesting and could provide something that Plunkbat isn't, and it seems like it has, so I genuinely should go and play some Fortnite and see if I like it more now. If you like the Plunkbat, then you'll like the Fortnite, I guess, the Battle Royale thing. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, Someone did a funny video about Plunkbat versus Fortnite. I'll link to that. People might like it. There's shooting in it. And people building walls out of bricks and making people dance. I have no idea what any of the jokes are about, but I'll link to it because I bet someone will. <laughs> what else? What else annoys us about being one of the most privileged work working <laughs> uh, people in the in the planet? I think that um, one thing that uh, again changes the way that I think about games is, and it's fairly obvious to say, but meeting developers has changed the way I think about games. I have much better sense of how games are made the the things that are compromises uh, especially in large teams um you uh, there's that odd thing of um being in a position where your job is to um sometimes write very negatively about things that people create coincides with the time in your life when you're suddenly meeting those people and seeing them as human beings and realizing how hard their jobs are uh, which are far harder than our job uh, and yeah, that's that's an odd thing. It's an odd thing having an inside look at an industry that you're kind of on the periphery of, because critics are on the periphery. Um, we're not really insiders, and we shouldn't be insiders in a lot of ways. You're um, getting you're getting very sympathetic to those developers. I know. It's all of a sudden, notice this. Like, notice this. A couple of months ago, you remember what I used to say about the men? <laughs> Lazy, good for nothing. <laughs> it's a very hard life. A very hard life. It is a lots of sympathy and support and care packages. I'll put my address at the end of this podcast. <laughs> uh, but no, I think I think it is very difficult. Like, um, and I don't really like doing the naming names thing, uh, but I'm going to do it. And it's a game, not a person. Uh, but uh, one of the 
things that made me feel worse about this entire job was recently was reviewing Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, um, a game that I just did not get on with um, for reasons that are in the review. And uh, I'm very, very confident that I'm uh, right about that. It's not that I was like, am I, you know, should I be this harsh? Like, there were just things about it that I just did not enjoy and uh, that I was fairly confident were structural problems. There were pacing problems. And there was so much about that I loved. And, um, and that's tough writing that because, um, and again, <laughs> very privileged job, I know. Um, it's, <laughs> it's very tough being horrible about somebody else's work. Uh, but it isn't, it isn't a pleasant feeling. And I think that uh, there is sometimes this idea that writing a hatchet job review is really good fun. Uh, I think it is for some people. I've never enjoyed it. I've never enjoyed writing negative reviews, even for big games, like, you know, which are kind of an easier target. But when it's a very personal game um, made by someone who I'd met, who was you know, just in a professional context, but who was incredibly passionate about the game and uh, had so many interesting things to say about it, and then just playing it and thinking, none of this came across to me uh, in the actual game. And that's the thing. You have to review the game, not the person. Um, and... Yeah, I wish I wish that I could have been kinder about that game. Uh, and yeah, that's that's a really horrible part of the job. And the flip side of that is discovering something or playing something that you're just surprised by how excited it makes you. Um, that's the best feeling. More more generally, uh, have either of you experienced this? I like a moment of fatigue with games as an industry or like moments where you're just disappointed and low about how bad some of the things are or how little not effort but little thought goes into doing some whether it's the writing of games or the the crafting of them have either of you felt like just just (laughs) like Watching an award show, for example, and just thinking, "My God, like, is this is this what we've got? Is this well, all we've got?" Say, I've been to E three three times, so that answers your question. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. I'm thinking maybe I'm not quite there yet because um, I've actually thought kind of the opposite when there have been. I mean, I'm thinking specifically when companies have done shitty things with loot boxes, and maybe this is just a specific thing. But it has been, I don't know, people will not like me saying this, but I, I don't really care about loot boxes. <laughs> it's always just seemed... Matthew. It doesn't affect me. Although, uh, sorry, it did It did with Battlefront because they ingrained it so much into the progression system that it, it messed up there. But yeah, there has definitely been big problems that people have perceived, and I can totally understand why they are big problems, but they haven't negatively infected my experience enough. So I just shrug and go, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> Every time my frame rate dips below 60, I smash my computer to pieces and say I'm leaving the industry forever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but I don't mean like, I don't mean things like this, which are specific problems like loot boxes yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, do you ever feel a general malaise? I never have. Not yet, not yet. <laughs> I've, had, I've, I've had it with AAA where I've just thought there's nothing out there for me. Uh, but then I just look at something else, and I've, I've never. I, I feel like you were about to say I have, Brendan. I don't know. I have. Yeah. Well, I was about to say anyone who feels that way just isn't curious enough. So there you go. How <laughs> <laughs> dare you? Um, no, but I think I am talking about like the AAA, yeah, I blockbuster side of things, and when I see 
Um, I think it's more a tiredness at seeing things that are well-crafted or, or very flashy or have had a lot of money put into them with super large teams and stuff like that being praised as if they're incredible like as oh, if they're wow. world changing the, I... and it's it's just it's really really frustrating to be able to point at smaller things maybe or that maybe aren't like you know perfectly you know a little bit rough around the edges or something and say yeah but look at look at this game and listen to the dialogue in it like it does it so much better than what these people out here are doing and it's like i know that some triple a games can be incredible yeah um but there's a lot of i think it's overrating in the industry and i think that's what just just gets me disappointed one of my favorite uh conversations i've had uh in the whole time i've been here was just just last month at gdc and i met jordan thomas for the first time uh, anyone who doesn't know jordan thomas worked on Bioshock 1 and 2, and he most famously probably uh, designed Fort Frolic in Bioshock 1. He was kind of the horror guy uh, on Bioshock 1. And he also worked on Thief Deadly Shadows, where he did the cradle. So he did two of the best kind of creepy levels in games. Uh, he's now making the, the Blackout Gang, or Blackout Club, sorry, which um, is, uh, we'll, we'll have a big feature on it, hopefully today, which I'm finishing up at the moment. But at one point he said uh, something which I, summed up so much of this stuff for me said when we were working on bioshock he said you know we uh we obviously he was like we were very proud of it he said and then we released it and he said i remember seeing a headline he said i can't which magazine or website it was but it said the thinking man shooter and he said it's a game about hitting people with a wrench if this is a thinking man shooter we're in a lot of trouble (laughs) (laughs) and and it was that idea that you know you you make a game about smashing mutants in the face with a wrench and injecting your arm with bees and people are like this is what we needed to to make games intellectual. And he was just like, you just think, oh no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's things like that. I mean, I'm, when I say like Amelia's, I mean, it's not a, it's not this all-encompassing cloud that yeah, yeah. takes over everything you're, you're covering, but it does color how you feel about it. Uh, it. It kind of makes you a little bit skeptical of almost everything you, that comes to your desk. Do you think that that's often though when something makes a small step forward or even quite a big step forward which i would say bioshock did bioshock did move things forward a little bit and then people are like you know well that just blew the whole that blew the doors off and you're this like, is what no. i mean is that yeah this is what i mean is that our i think our sense of proportion is off in the games industry yeah and i think what is cited as a huge revolution or an incredible leap you know ahead down some whatever imaginary progression that we're on is often is often an illusion you know yeah. it's yeah. It, it's over egged for instance it's i always think of writing in the games industry is it's not it's not super there are some instances of really really good writing um but then anytime we get something that's you know good yeah people think it's incredible and it's like it's only because our standards have historically been so low that we do think that some things like this are incredible because we compare it to other games instead of comparing it to other media. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I think that there's also a sense that uh, I think there's an embarrassment tied into that as well. I think that um, people, especially people like us who write about games, uh, often, I, I don't think it's true of any of us here. And I don't think it's true of RPS as a site, but I think that the, there is a tendency to be like, we see something, it's like, 
it's like the, the games industry is throwing us a bone and saying, hey, we're making games that you can actually talk about in exciting ways and, and that are moving things forward. And it's the thing of wanting that to happen because sometimes it is a little bit embarrassing trying to, um, you know, mine critical gold from what is essentially a pile of offal. And I don't mean that in the sense that I'm saying games are a pile of offal. I mean, literally, a lot of the games I play are about making piles of offal out of human beings. That's what they So are. what you're saying is that video game criticism is basically a kind of bloody alchemy. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'll put on my CV, seven years, bloody alchemist. <laughs> Do you think we're being too harsh, Matt, on, on games as a whole? Ah, it's... I mean, it's interesting. I'm wondering... If you consume more games media than I do, because uh, I sort of I know what you mean, but I'm also thinking, yeah, but what what specific examples of have you got of that? And I'm also you... thinking, yeah, but Disco Elysium was legitimately brilliant, right? Oh no, well I mean, come on, <laughs> yeah, no, Dis- <laughs> Dis- Disco Elysium is the one that we've all been waiting for, basically, and it's gonna yeah. it's gonna make all the stuff we wrote about all the games look really <laughs> stupid now. And that's the thing, we're like we're like the boys who cried wolf, right? It's like no. This game really has good writing, and this time we're like, no, this one really, really does, it though. It really does, it really does, yeah. it actually does. Um, yeah, I've been jonesing to play it. I'm worried now that I'm jonesing too much, and I have to step back and say, no, it'll just be good. It'll just be good. I want to bring my expectations down a little, but uh, the the hope is in there. Hope is in there. No, it's going to be amazing. I have full confidence in it. I spoke to quite a few people who've played it, uh, both devs Shit. and critics and i've not heard anybody who's not like this is amazing why didn't you tell me about it i'm just like i did about six months ago you idiots <laughs> we should also explain for anyone who maybe hasn't listened to previous podcasts what what disco elysium is matt what's disco elysium it's a oh my goodness uh, it's a rpg <laughs> in which you play a cop <laughs> but i think the best way of describing it is you, it opens with a conversation with your reptilian brain and limbic system in which they try and convince you that the outside world isn't worth investigating and there it's oh it's got it's just full of stupidly good writing um like really properly quotable writing i mean in fact i'll just say with that opening the um it was the line because they're trying to persuade you not to go out into the world and just you know embrace darkness and you ask them, you say, well, okay, what, what's out there? <laughs> and they say, well, it's basically just a big ball. It's a big ball with some evil apes duking it out. That's basically all it is. <laughs> and it's like, the moment I read that, I was like, right, I'm so on board for this. And it's got, it's just so many interesting ideas where skills have personalities. Um, so when I was talking to, um, I think his name's Robert Kurvitz. Uh, about it and he was he was saying so like rhetoric is a skill in the game and rhetoric is sort of a left-leaning uh liberal type of person and then endurance becomes a sort of fascist and then drama is uh, this sort of really col- colorful personality there was this brilliant moment in our interview where he puts on a voice and goes to drama is like why sire you are in this might be a good time to a lie and these are all just like invisible voices in your head, more or less. Yeah. Um, 
And, yeah, you just kind of call on them to say things out loud to people or to make a decision about something. If this is sounding familiar to anyone as well, we should point out that it used to be called No Truce with the Furies. Mm-hmm. But uh, Disco Elysium now. It's also- a much more sensible name. <laughs> Absolutely. It's also got this incredible thought cabinet mechanic that I have to highlight where occasionally... So you can get thoughts either from the world or from your skills, like from (laughs) the parts of yourself. And then those thoughts become little things that you can put in your thought cabinet, uh, which over a period of time you internalize and then you get bonuses from them or negative buffs from. So one early example is you get it into your head that you might be a superstar. So you internalize the idea that you're a superstar, and there are consequences for that. Oh, it's just such a funny game. It's gonna be I... good. It's really funny. It's also incredibly dark. We should yeah. point out. I mean, yeah, very yeah. dark. And yeah, I pointed a gun at a child whenever I played. Yeah, and you nearly, spent... nearly pulled the trigger. You spend a lot of time uh, digging through the remains of a putrefied corpse, uh, and it's done in forensic oh. detail and. Uh, but this, the the thing that I really love about it is that um, it is exactly that that it's really funny and it can be really horrifying simultaneously because because it feels like life and life is so much like that that you, you your kind of internal life and reactions to things uh, the amount of times when I've been in a situation where I'm just having complete existential despair and then it's like well this is also kind of ridiculous you know like um, it, it really is good at doing internalizing it's like confederacy of the dunces meets um dark souls no <laughs> not that <laughs> it's nothing like dark souls that's is that even an in joke that's not even an in joke that's an out joke that's, yeah it's a very uh in jokey podcast we're allowed to talk about journalism things yeah you asked alexi <laughs> <laughs> oh god i'm glad we actually got to talk about this girl easy again because my my i think it'll be the best game of the year. I've decided that already. It'd be my favourite game of the year anyway, because uh, it already is. I think it's going the, be rest the best of game of many years. Many years. We'll see. I mean, we'll yes, see. we'll nah, see. I I've seen anymore. it. I've seen a big chunk of it. And like just that, just the hour that I've played is one of my favourite memories of playing a game that I've like had. And yeah, this, it's, it's going back to the Crying Wolf thing. It's like people listening to this must be, yeah, it can't really be that good. It really is. We'll do some links to things we've written about before. You're going to do a, is it a hands-on thing this week or next week, Matt? Um, I know. Or is it an interview? Yeah, John's writing up a preview. I have an interview which should go on the site soon. Okay, so we'll put that in the description if it's if one of those is there by the time this goes up. So have a look for that. Right. 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 We've we've exhausted your question, Alexi. We've talked all about things. We might return to something similar in later in the podcast at the end, but do we we have a little bit of time to talk about what we've been playing. And let me just double check something because I have been playing something, but I'm not sure what I can say about it. Um I think I can say oh, anything. Go on. You can say anything you like, you're leaving. Oh I can. It's it's Battletech, uh and there's uh, the review 
embargo is the 24th, but there's a streaming embargo today, which is now passed. So if you can stream it, I can talk about it, right? I'm basically streaming my own voice. That's that's just less of a violation of streaming the game. Sounds legit. Yeah, okay. So I've just Battletech um, is the Mech Warrior turn-based strategy game. Uh, Paradox of Publishing it. It's made by Herbrain Schemes, the people who did the Shadowrun revival. Um, revivals. Um, and I was really, really excited for it because I love big mechs. I like turn-based things. It has a whole management side in the campaign. Alex is going to be reviewing it for us, so um, my thoughts are based on only three or four hours play so far. I don't like it very much. And oh. I know, and I'm really sad. And I'm hoping that I'll start to like it more, but uh, the tutorial goes on for far too long. It's one of those tutorials that just holds your arm's length from all the things that seem interesting. It's like big dynamic campaign, and the tutorial's like, no, play through these scripted missions with boring dialogue, and which is fine if it's teaching me things. But at the end of it, I was like, you haven't actually taught me how to do anything. You've just made me do lots of very slow missions. And at the end of it, you get to the management side, and it's kind of like the XCOM base. Um, you're on a ship, and it's a lot of the XCOM base, um, except worse, uh, like slower. <laughs> Every screen seems to take longer to load. Every person just goes on and on and on. Like in XCOM, you talk to someone, they're just like, you know, they'll give you two lines of flavor text, basically. In this, there are pages and pages of tutorial text for them to talk you through. Uh, I say pages and pages, they're not that bad. They're not big blocks of text, but lots of clicking through a person saying, howdy, here's how to manage your mech crew. Uh, and the they're just really boring. And it all seems a little bit too complicated, a little bit too slow. Um, the combat's great. I really like the missions, but I'm really struggling with the campaign at the moment. And I'm hoping it gets a lot better. And I'm hoping that it's just a tough curve of getting into it. Um, because at the minute I'm really disappointed, um, but ho- still hopeful. I have to say, like uh, I'm going to stick with it, and and I, I think even if all of my criticisms are hold up, I'm still going to end up enjoying it. It's still going to be a game that I play a lot of, but I was hoping for something really special. So disappointment. It's a pity. Yeah, Matt, have you been playing anything better? Uh, yes, I've been playing Dota Two. In that, a, that's that's been well, forever. Well, we can't talk about that. Matt. I've been playing it in an interesting and novel context. Tell us. Uh, so um, yesterday I was in London for a a Red Bull esports event. <laughs> it was basically it was a um, it was a training under Purge workshop. And Purge, who's Purge? Purge is uh, he used to be a professional player. Um, I wish I could tell you what team he was on. I cannot remember. It begins with a Z, I believe. <laughs> but now he's a um, commenter, coacher type guy that writes guides and stuff. He's very, he's probably most well known for his guides uh, for how to play Dota. I say most well known for that. It's how I mainly know him. <laughs> uh, so it was this coaching workshop where I think um, I was there with a few other uh, games journalists and a lot of other people were there as uh, a thing that they paid for. And so the way it worked was we would, we played a game of Dota. (laughs) um, And then after we played the game, Purge would 
gather us all around in front of this massive screen, in front of this crowd of people, and tell us all of the terrible mistakes we'd made, which was <laughs> why we were there. It was also <laughs> brutal. <laughs> um, so that, like, one thing was, like, we thought they were going to... Um, we didn't really anticipate how good the people we were playing were going to be against, because these were people who were on a team that played together regularly and, you know, had come to this event so that Purge could sort of get them to the next level. We were a bunch of uh, jealous that didn't know each other. One of us had played for 70 hours, which is <laughs> that thing with Dota where any other game you say you played for 70 hours, oh, that's quite a few hours. No, no, that's that's baby levels of Dota where you don't understand <laughs> anything that is happening. Um, and I say that, I, I say that quite harshly, but it's also very truthful. I mean, so I've played... God, let me check Steam. Don't. Don't embarrass everybody. No, it's everybody. right here. I'm, I'm going to do it. I've played for, and some of this will be Steam idling time, but it's 3,680 hours. So you must have been very good, and Purge must have looked at you and said, "Oh wow, you're you're very good, Matt Cracks." Nope. Do you want to? Do you want to join my pro team? <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Because this is the thing. That's that's Weird. a lot of hours. But um, I'm I'm like compared to the people in the room in that room that were playing this seriously, I was I was nothing. <laughs> and uh, that's partly because, if, if, in fairness to me, uh, most of those hours were. Uh, in a life, a previous life where I was playing Dota every evening um, and yeah, had so much more free time before. I Alexi, that, that is how much your uh, game, your view of games change. You, you can't play 3,000 hours in Dota anymore. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, but yeah, like what I'm saying is I have all of those hours and even though I was I was rusty, I still, you know, I have a good idea of what I'm doing in that game. So what did he say to you? Um, many, many things. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, part of it, um, I should point out, it wasn't because there was, he was looking at a lot of replays over the day and it was, um, there were a lot of games and a lot of people. And the way, the way it worked was, because our game was a stomp. And then the second game I played, it was a stomp the other way. I just sort of inevitably the way it worked would be the people that lost would get 90% of the advice, which I thought was a, I thought that was kind of a shame actually, because it meant the people that <laughs> were there to get Purge's advice got much, much less advice than, <laughs> than we did because we were making so many obvious mistakes. There was, um, there was one fun bit in particular where I initiated in a fight not initiated in a fight. I went into a fight which I really shouldn't have done, and he just straight up laughed at me. He just straight up was like, "This was suicidal. I don't know what you're doing there." Whole room laughs. So that was fun. I laughed too. I enjoyed it. Um, Do you feel like you're a better player now? Yes. Feel like you learned anything? Yeah, I do actually. Um, there were a couple of things which he said, which I like. Even though I played for all of those hours, I'd never thought to do. So one. One particularly good example of that was um, when you gank people, checking what items they've bought to see if they can get away or not, or see you know how successful you're likely to be, and looking around, looking at what people have to 
to gauge your movements around the map, which is just such an immediately potentially big thing. Um, in a sort of <laughs> the thing with Dota is that sounds I can see how that could sound kind of small, but it's compared to the sort of other improvements you'd make in Dota, it's such a a really big, obvious, significant thing that I can start doing now and should improve at. And that's the other thing, the other takeaway from it is, I mean, I don't know how true this is going to be, but I definitely feel after the workshop, I'm, yeah, I want to get back into Dota. I remember all of the things I love about this game, all of the, just how stupidly complicated it is and how there's always, I, I, in a conversation with somebody, I've, um, at the event, I put it like, I mean, it's the reason we all love it is after every game, there is always something you could have done better. And I think that's a common thing across, you know, games that I like is that sense of, ah, if only I'd done this. And then you take that into the next game. Um, but what's interesting is what I was simultaneously reminded of how great Dota is. I was also reminded of how unpleasant it can be in a... what. Like a competitive, like nasty. Yes, in e- in the way at an event, so, like even when, especially you... at an event. So this is really? the thing I hadn't quite th- clocked, but this is uh, before I went in. But it's so the thing about Dota is it's another. <laughs> There's a lot of sentences starting. Like I know, this. I know. The thing you need to understand about Dota <laughs> is that it's a cesspit. <laughs> well, the thing I was going to say was that it's one of those games where it's. Very much, it's easy to be a d- in it because it, you're. It's like it's set up such that if one person on a team does something wrong, and that will happen, that mistake will be very visible, and that will, that could very well cost the game. Or if they're making a series of mistakes, and losing Dota is a can often be a miserable, drawn out experience. So the, the the game is definitely sort of there's the competitive element of it as well, but there also that there's that specific thing which makes it very very tempting, even for someone as lovely as I am. <laughs> to... Oh no! What did you do? What did you do? No, no, I didn't do anything. In fact, part of it, I I was just gonna say it when what it means is I can sort of understand why people get as unpleasant as they do, even though. Even though I wouldn't actually actually do this, so I, you know, I was, um, I was playing with somebody that was very. He said at the start of it, oh, "Okay, I've got to make sure I don't shout at people and be aggressive." And I said, "Oh, oh, is that your style?" And he said, "Yeah, it kind of is." And it absolutely was. It, it was a. Are we talking like swearing at people? And... Less swearing and more bossing people around, and more saying, "You do this now." And what's funny is there were a few moments where he that, that happened and I didn't do what he said and it immediately became clear that I shouldn't have done the thing that he said. <laughs> but I, I, it was sort of this awkward like, ah, yeah, no, fair, fair enough. Though, I I mean, that's another interesting thing. I sort of perceived it as awkward for him. It was probably just just how it always works. He doesn't even notice that. Um, he's probably self-aware enough, though, if he says, oh, I probably shouldn't do this and he just gets caught up in it. See, it's this interesting level of self-awareness and being aware that it's not a cool thing, but also the moment you're in a game, all of that self-awareness goes. And it's interesting. There's a lot of stuff like this in competitive games, because, like, 
I play a bit of Tekken, like not a not a good not three thousand hours of Tekken, but <laughs> but um, like enough to like follow it and people playing it. Yeah. And um, recently there was a case of one player grabbing and after losing a match, grabbing another player's pad. And just throwing it at the ground, just smashing oh it, just fuming that they that they lost this match. Um, and I thought, oh my god, what a yeah, like what a like a nasty player, God, that's so. And I felt like, oh, this is probably very misrepresentative because I've watched a lot of games, and usually they get up, they shake hands, sometimes they yeah. hug and they laugh about it, they talk about what they've been, what they, how they fought. Um, and I thought, oh, this is just not. This isn't representative of how fighting game how the fighting game community gets on. No, not at all. And then so I, in the thread that this had been posted in, I saw somebody else posted a video of the player who who had had his pad thrown, as in the winner of this particular match, had reacted in a previous game by refusing to shake the hand of another player and, like, storming off in a huff. And I was just like, oh, God, is everybody really this riled up? And well, it... Thank God. Yeah. No, no, that's that's all I had to say. Is competitive games makes makes jerks of us all. I I, I did wonder how representative it was because it's entirely possible there was just an unusually high concentration of unpleasant people that just happened to be at that particular workshop. But it was I was I was genuinely taken aback in a way I wasn't expecting, and not just about the not just with the aggression, but there was the the, the egotism was the other element of it. This was just a thing I couldn't understand. Where um, we were going over the well again, I could I can kind of understand it, but going over the replay, um, when Purge was was you know giving people advice and telling them what they went wrong, what they did wrong, and so many times people would say yeah yeah but I did that because of this, and I think, and uh, you know trying to get the blame off of them and onto well yeah in, in a couple of cases directly onto another teammate. Or, or just circumstances that meant no, what they were doing was the right thing. Um, and like maybe one, like in all but on all but one of those occasions, Purge was just like, uh, no, 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 this is this is definitely why what you did was wrong. And that happened sort of so many times in so many ways that seemed, from my perspective, to be like, why, why would you say that? Why would you? Because I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't just that they were saying it in a oh, but I kind of thought that maybe I was right for doing this. It was a no, no, no. I can't have been at fault there because of this. And there was definitely this uh, a really surprising pattern of trying to externalize blame in a context in which I'd have thought you'd go into it actively wanting to learn about the mistakes that you were making and, and trying to improve. This is why the f- this is why Tekken's easier because you can really only blame yourself if you're the only one on the team. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It sounds rough. I don't want. Oh god, that sounds awful. I'm in the miasma now. <laughs> you're, yeah, <laughs> you've got the malleus. You've got the malleus. See, because all pretty much all of the time I play Dota, it's with a group of you know supportive Chums. friends. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it's funny when when I was talking to Purge after. Uh, I was asking about uh, how would one get back into Dota if you've been away for a year? And he would say, yeah, play with friends. I wouldn't recommend solo queuing when you're coming back. And I was like, well, I, I just would not recommend solo queuing. Full stop, it's, no. Oh, it is. It is genuinely unpleasant. It's similar with, um, obviously, non-esports, you know, P-sports, physical sports. 
Sports. Um sorry. Um they're very similar in that, you know, obviously the more competitive they are, the more egos are involved, the more blame gets shared around, the more nasty people can become. But I play five-a-side football very occasionally these days because I'm very un- out of shape. But uh, I used to play a lot, and that was always with friends. And um, and there was always one person in the group of friends who took it far too seriously, and everyone mm. secretly didn't want to invite them, but we had to. And one time I tackled that person, and it was probably a little bit of a hard tackle for a five-a-side football game, and he threw a massive strop and wouldn't speak to me for a week. And wow. it's like, that's your friend, you know? So, you know, anything <laughs> that anything competitive, I think, you know, is to either to be avoided or to be uh, treated with the levity that it deserves. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's Go in and have to... fun. Go in and have fun. Don't don't try to win. No, don't try. Trying to win is bad. It's unhealthy. Yeah. I yeah. would say try to win really hard with friends that approach trying to win in the same no. nice. No, ways. no, you're too. You're 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 going too. <laughs> He's gone mad. He's gone power hungry. Just power go crazy. In. If anything, aim to lose. I would. In a fun I, way. I would aim to lose. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, aim to aim to make people laugh while you lose. That's my approach to life. I mean, I very much did that at this workshop. <laughs> when, when are we going to hear more about that? Are you going to write it up? Or yes, I am. I'm definitely yeah. going to write it up, but um, it might be next week because I have some red stuff to do before. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Look out for that. Shall we move on to readers' questions? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there are many, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, there are some. There are some. Well, We've done a special question. Yeah. I want you and Matt to think of questions you want to ask me as well, just in case, you know, you have anything that you well, want. Well, that's to... a bit short notice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just think of anything that, that is relevant to my time at RPS. That you've but yes, it, yeah. it's Adam's last podcast. So we'd, uh, we asked our readers, do you have any questions you'd like to ask him before he disappears? Um, and... Yeah, now I guess we have to think of questions too. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, that's okay. Um, but let's let's see. Let's see. What if people ask? Eduardo Ka, um, Ed asks, which article are you most proud of? Or which was the most fun to write? You can answer either. I'll answer question I'll answer or both. both. So the uh, and the the most proud of uh, there's there's two answers to that. One of which is uh literally any time when we've written about a game and uh, it has, as I said before, um, kind of cast light on a game that wasn't getting much attention. There's a lovely thing when you write about a game and then it snowballs and other sites start to cover it and it's, it's a mm. really nice thing. Uh, recently, and I don't really want to single one out, but it's the one that I remember most recent was Unexplored, which is uh, in the real-time roguelike, which has this very, very clever dungeon generation algorithm. Um, and it wasn't getting very much attention and it's probably because of how it looks. It's not very eye-catching on the Steam store. Um, and I, I played it and loved it and decided to review it. I hadn't planned to review it, um, but but loved it so much I thought it deserved a review. And um, and it started getting attention other places. And um, I've never actually met the developer. Oh, have I? Sorry if I have and you're listening to this, but I can't believe I've actually met. But I've certainly spoken to people who know the developer and have said that it was you know it, it made a big difference to the game's success which is always really lovely but but in a more um site um specific way um and people might find this very odd but uh, the best strategy games feature um we've been talking a lot on rps about doing list features and it's something we'd never really done 
Um, we did a best games ever list before I joined even. Um, and we haven't really done anything like that except the end of year calendars. Um, and me and Graham were talking about the fact it'd be good to do that uh, because it's just a good compendium of games that we think are important. And so Graham said, why don't you try and do a strategy games one um, as a template for how we do them? And I said, it'll be 50 games, which was far too many. Uh, I didn't realize how long <laughs> that'd take. Um, and those list features, people can be very cynical about them um, and can think they're just kind of filler. That took me longer to write than anything I've written on RPS. It was a hell of a slog uh, because picking the games was hard enough itself. I had, a, I had a long list of 220 games at one point and I shaved it down to those 50. It was very, very... Um, uh, in depth, I wanted to make sure that I covered every kind of subgenre of strategy and tactics and management. So rather than it just being here's 50 great games, it's a very broad selection of games. I want it to be a kind of primer for the genre. I want it to be a good history lesson. So the amount of work that went into that was incredible. And uh, and what was really gratifying was the response that was really nice because I was dreading us putting it up and people just ignoring it and just being like, oh, RPS is doing these kind of listy clickbait features. But I got so many emails about it. The comments on it were mostly really, really positive. And, and you know, it's it's sometimes easy to feel like you're just shouting into the void when you're writing online and that things don't have any permanence. Uh, but that one, people still visit that. People still read it. I still get emails about it. Um, I still talk to developers and they'll bring it up and, and say, you know, why did you put this one here? Why did you do that? And that's really gratifying. And I also did a horror one. Um, 25 best horror games which i tried to do something similar with and uh and i was really pleased that people actually engage with them uh because i think that those kind of features can be can be really bad they can be really thin they can be very uh, light on actual critical content and uh, and i think we did them really well uh were they were they the most fun to write though no they were horrible to write uh the <laughs> most fun to write was i mentioned this briefly before actually not knowing this question was going to come up but uh, the Euro Truck Simulator one, which I've I've mentioned many many times before, um, which is called Night Drive, um, which was um, me doing a rare kind of uh, just trippy personal piece um, about Euro Truck Simulator two, um, which I'll just pop in here so Brendan has a link to it. Oh, I'll find it. Don't you worry. Uh, <laughs> um, Joe Gallant asks, can you say where you're headed yet? Um, so I'm looking at this tweet now. He asks, "Aunt Andy is a blessing." I can't say what I'm working on, but I'm not under any instruction to not say where I'm going. I just don't really want to publicize it while I'm still working at RPS because right now I'm working at RPS. Um, but it's not paradox. It's not paradox. It's not paradox. It honestly is to... a paradox. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the first joke we all need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I said to I said to somebody who knows me well. Uh, who said, you know, when do you start a joke paradox? I said, it's not paradox, it's the other one. And he immediately got it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but it is, it is a uh, fairly big studio uh, and I'll be a writer there. So, um, I'm not sure whether to ask Jake Doran's question. What is it? It's shag, marry, kill John Alec Brandy. <laughs> 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 um, no, I'll add to that. Let me think. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna kill you, Brandy, but that's oh come yeah, on. Yeah, I know, but the thing I'm is, I'm getting married. No, at least. no, because you're here. Wait, so you'd rather just be shagged? You've put them in the order of kill is worst, marry is middle worst, and 
Okay. No, Mary's Mary's best. Well, you said cannot get married at least. Makes oh, maybe Shag is best. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I'm hard to live with. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I'm going to kill you because you're here, so I can explain that. I want to say that to your face. I don't want. I don't want you to hear that from you know when you're not here. Um, yeah. I think. Oh, I'd marry John because I think, you know, I'd want the cuddles, Alec. I'd just leave in the morning, <laughs> get hit the road. Oh. But really, the true answer to all three is Graham. There so, you go. Yeah. How do you feel about your editor? Yeah, yeah. Old Man Crescenshi asks, is there any genre of fiction you gravitate towards, regardless of the medium? Horror. Yeah, absolutely. And horror is the thing... That I, the the horror that I love is the fiction that I love the most, and the rest of it I tend to not like very much. Again, uh, I'll plug the Jordan Thomas feature that's going up because uh, that should be it'll be up by the end of this week. Um, it's a big conversation about designing horror games, which touches on a lot of uh, the things that both me and Jordan like about horror and the ways we think it can easily become the worst genre. Um, and a lot of that is that I think horror it's very easy to simplify what horror does uh and the most obvious way through jump scares or through just uh torture porn and gore uh but at its uh, when it when it's doing something interesting with just the idea of scaring somebody in interesting ways i think touches on so many emotional intellectual ideas that fascinate me um so there's a, there's a great moment in that interview actually, which I don't know if it'll make it to the article. It's in the recording, but I don't know if it'll make it in because it's a very it's. I, I think I got nine thousand words in the transcription, so I'm not going to make everyone read oh all that. Yeah, it was a very long conversation, and there's one point where Jordan just said, um, "You know, this started as an interview on a new game, and now I'm going to tell you about a point in my life when I had serious existential terror." And uh, and on the recording, I just say, is this therapy or an interview now? <laughs> uh, it's that kind of interview, but it's very good. And yeah, that's kind of why I like horror, because it can lead into uh, avenues like that. So yeah, definitely horror. Uh, Mike Cowley asks, when are you going to admit this is all a joke and you're not really going? Yeah, Adam. <laughs> November. <laughs> God damn. Uh. Okay, have you got any questions for Adam before he disappears forever, Matt? Why? Because uh, I don't. I need to fill some time. <laughs> no, no, that was my question. Why? Yeah. Uh, you could come back to me in six and a half years and you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but the serious answer to that is that, um, uh, and I, I tweeted about this, and like I know not everyone reads Twitter, and there's no reason why everyone would read my tweets, but um, I was very very torn about leaving and i'm not leaving because i want to leave i'm leaving because i really want to do the other thing mm. and that is an important distinction um and i genuinely feel rps will get better after i leave not because um you know i'm a bad influence on the site or anything but because i know that i'm getting stale in the way i'm thinking about things and uh even if readers don't notice it necessarily and some of them really do um, I start to repeat myself because I've kind of said a lot of the things that I want to say. Um, and yeah, I think uh, freshening things up and getting new blood in is always a good thing. And I think uh, that's important for me. It's important for RPS as well. And I, I do think that it's it's time. 
Uh, and I want to see what I can do. You're committing a seppuku. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I do want to see what I can do uh, in development. Um, I think it's hard to spend this long around um, developers and not think, could I? You know, should I? Would it be interesting? And it's very hard to find a place where... Uh, one of the things that I keep saying to people at Res, I was obviously talking to a lot of people who were saying, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? A lot of them were saying Paradox. And I was like, what would I do at Paradox? My skills won't fit there because I only have one skill. Or two, one is thinking critically about things, which is important. And the second is writing. Uh, Paradox don't really need me. Um, there's a chance they will in the future, but I, I, I wouldn't be able to do a lot of good work there. I need to go somewhere where I can write. And that's very, very difficult. As we were talking about earlier a little bit or touching on, uh, being a writer in the games industry is a thankless task a lot of the time. Um, there's not Enjoy a lot of spreadsheets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but just knowing what's going to make it into a game and how much of your work is going to actually look anything like it did at the time when you wrote it is very difficult. So I wanted to wait for an opportunity where I was like, yeah, this is a place where I think I can actually do good work. That was the most important thing, um, and that takes a long time. And we'll know where that is in like a week's time, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll... I mean, obviously, Matt and I already know. Yeah, we're that's... just not telling anyone. Yeah, either. yeah. No, my you'll see my Twitter bio will change and all of that, and yeah, and uh, and then you'll get to see RPS covering my writing, which will be really good fun. <laughs> Can't wait oh, for that. It's the end of an era. It is. It's been a long, long time. Yeah. I'm sad. I'm sad. I feel I only oh. got a, a taste of you. I know. Seriously, sad, when I said it gets stale, <laughs> I meant the taste specifically. Oh. <laughs> well, okay. it was a delicious taste. <laughs> there we go. Final goodbyes for Adams. <laughs> um, thank you for joining us this week and for joining us this seven years. Yeah, well, I'll. I'm sure I'll be I'll be popping into Resden EGX and saying hello. Uh, that goes for the, read- the listeners as well. I nearly called you all readers. I guess you are readers. I guess our listeners probably are our readers. There must be a fairly large overlap. But uh, yeah, always say hello. Cool. Okay, that's it. We're done here. It's over. Bye-bye. Um, you've been listening to the Rock, Paper, Shotgun Electronic Wireless Show. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Rock, Paper, Shot. Uh, if you want to send us in themes or suggestions for topics like Alexi did, thank you, Alexi, you can do that podcast at rockpapershotgun.com. We have a few others um, that people have sent us. We're looking at them. Thank you for those. Uh, we'll hopefully cover them in future episodes. Sans Adam. Uh, Saddam. But Saddam. That's how I well. feel today. <laughs> Uh, but yes, please do keep sending those in. Uh, we like you all. Any final words, Adam? Yeah, it's been wonderful. Um, and, uh, I'll still be listening to the podcast, so don't say horrible things about me and think that I'm not here. <sighs> I will be listening. No, you can't say the first thing we were going to no, do. No, actually, no, I'd like that because it'll feed my ego even slightly to know that you're still talking about me. So that's okay. <laughs> um, no, and, oh. and I'll still be reading RPS. I'm not going to do comments because I never have before in the past, but I'll probably tweet at you sometimes. So enjoy that. All right. Have lovely lives. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye. bye.
the outside world isn't worth investigating.